Hebrews chapter number 8. And so you'll see the Lord's Supper and this message kind of go hand in hand just a little bit. And so we'll do it at the end. And so we're glad that you're here. And it feels weird to have you new 7th graders in the service now, especially having my own son up here now. William, that's just weird to have a 7th grader in my house. And you're not a little boy anymore. Remember the day you were born. Remember changing your first diaper. And I literally was the one that got changed the first diaper. You didn't get to. So I don't know how that worked. The nurse is like, here. And I'm like, here what? I pay you the big bucks here at the hospital. You need to, take, you need to change his diaper. You need to learn, Dad. Yep, so I learned right away. And so it's good to have you here. And Christina, it's good to see you today. And so good to have to, I looked, I'm like, what is she doing here? It's good to see you. And it's always good to see you. All right, Hebrews chapter number 8. I know everyone remembers everything I said last week, so no need to review any of that. Yeah. We looked at last week the fact that Jesus is a superior high priest. He's after the order of Melchizedek. We went through all of that. If you weren't here last week, I would go back and listen to the message about that. But literally what it comes down to is that if we have a superior high priest, then he probably needs a new covenant, and he needs a better one than what the old covenant was. And the better, we'll talk about why better in a few minutes here this morning. And then chapter number 9, we see that he's in a better sanctuary, and he's made a better sacrifice in chapter number 10. So it all makes sense. When you have a better high priest, when you have the best, you've got to have the best of everything, right? And that's literally what it comes down to with Jesus. We have the best. And since we have Jesus and he's the best, everything else has to be better. And that's what we're going to look at today, the fact why the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Now, before we get into it, I just want to help you with something. Remember, the old covenant was good. God made it. Does God make anything bad? God doesn't make anything bad. So in itself, the old covenant was not the problem. What was the problem? All of us. Sin. The children of Israel, they didn't follow God. They said, we will do this, and they didn't come, follow, come through. So God said in the new covenant, I'm going to do this, and God always comes through. And thank God that he always comes through. You know, we look at it, our laws bad? You know, I'm a, maybe this is a controversial thing to you. Gun laws for a second. So there are a lot of people that want strong, strict gun laws and all of that. And where you draw that line, you can figure that out for yourself. But um, I've, I've got a couple of guns, yes. And they're put away, not where my kids can get to them. They're safe and things like that. But if someone were to bring in my house, they're in a spot. I know where to get to them and things like that. But... Literally, I've learned something about a gun in my time around guns. A gun has never shot someone by itself. You cautiously pull the trigger. You make a decision that you're pulling that trigger. And so they can make all sorts of guns. I used to live near Chicago. Some of the strongest, strongest gun laws in the country. And yet people die every day from guns in Chicago. You say, why? Because the law doesn't change a heart. And when the heart is no good, they're going to break the law. So the problem is mankind has an evil heart, a wicked heart, desperately wicked who could know it. God needed to give us a new heart. That's part of the new covenant, which we'll look at. And so as we look here this morning and we get ready to dive in, we just got done studying chapter 7 and realizing that Jesus is superior because he is not only 
priest, but he's king at the same time. And for Israel, it never worked that way. For Israel, and even when this was written, they had their priests, but their priests were not kings. The priests came from the tribe of Levi. The kings came from the tribe of Judah. So for Jesus to be priest and king, he is a superior priest. So as we look here this morning, we're going to start reading in verse number 1. We'll read as we go through each point. We'll just read responsibly with each point as we go through. Starting in verse number 1 of chapter 8. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. So literally what he's saying is, after all that I've said, here's the point. This is what I was trying to tell you. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not men. As we look here this morning, we see a reminder from last time. We see number one, that as we think about why is the new covenant better than the old covenant? Because it's ministered by our superior high priest. You notice right away it says there in verse number one, it says we have such an high priest. Which brings, it distinguishes him a little bit. And he is superior today. And we looked at all these reasons. Why is Jesus superior as our high priest than the, than the, the priest of Aaron? First of all, letter A, because he's morally perfect. We see we have such a high priest, which is mentioned here, which is referring back to chapter 7, verse 22 through 28. And look at what it says there. Go back there. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better covenant. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchanging priesthood. Wherefore he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us. It suited us. He was exactly what we needed. And as we look here, look what it says. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needed not daily as those high priests offer up sacrifices, <clears throat> first for their own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. So as we look at that fact there, we just see right away that he's morally perfect. You notice the words harmless, undefiled, he's blameless. And you know, we look at each one of us and we look at the priests that came before. Were they blameless? Were they undefiled? No. Each one of us, are we blameless or undefiled? No in man's eyes. But when you come to Jesus Christ and he saves you and you put on the righteousness of Christ, you are deemed blameless. Well, that's a blessing right there. Because I know in me I'm not blameless. But Jesus sees me. God sees me through his son Jesus, and I'm blameless. Isn't that wonderful to know? That when we're justified. We're clean in God's eyes through Jesus Christ and what he did. So as we look, in, we look at our high priest here, our superior high priest, he's morally perfect. Letter B, he finished the work. You'll notice the rest of verse number 1. It says, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Do you know the earthly tabernacle didn't have chairs inside of it? The priests couldn't sit. Why? Because they always had something to do. Sitting down is a sign of finishing sign. I, I mentioned last service, and uh, my parents have been living with us for a couple weeks now, and it's going pretty good. My dad's getting better. It's, it's a good thing. But the one thing that's been the hardest thing for me, are you ready? They sit in my chair. 
After a long day, I like to sit in my chair and put my feet up. I like my chair. And then we had to move, we put both of them in that area so we could all be together there. And then my chair that I like is kind of in the corner now, not even in a good spot to see the television or anything else. And so literally you say, well, why? at the end of the day, after working all day long, it's nice to sit down. It signifies the fact that he sat on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, that he finished the work he came to do, and he's seated. Where the priests in the Old Testament, literally, they didn't get to, there was always a sacrifice, always an offering that he made, always something to do. But we see that he's seated, and then we see not only is he seated, but he's seated, letter C, he's seated on the throne. There's no other priest except Melchizedek, right? Who was priest and king. And so for the children of Israel, none of their priests were king and priest at the same time. A few times a king tried to do the priestly duties. It got God to reject Saul, and Uzziah got leprosy when he tried to do it. So a king was not supposed to do the priestly duties, and the priest didn't do the king's job. But when we look at Jesus Christ, he's superior in the fact that he's not just seated, but he's seated at the right, he's on the throne. And that shows his superiority here. And it's a fulfillment that the Bible talks about and how Jesus would do this. And even um, prophecies were made about it. And David prophesied about it. That were after the order of Melchizedek prophesying about Jesus. And then not only is he seated on a throne, but letter D, he's supremely exalted. It said, of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not men. You see, he's in the heavens. He's ascended, he's exalted, the majesty in the heavens. He ministers in a heavenly sanctuary. And we'll talk about this here in just a little bit. And so as we look here, we really see the author is reviewing what we've just talked about. And the fact is, we have a superior high priest. He's perfect. He's been exalted. He finished the work he was supposed to do. He's done these things. So since we have a better priest, it only makes sense that our superior priest would have a better sanctuary to minister in and that he would have a better testament or covenant to make with his people because he's superior. So we see, number one, we just see the fact that we have a superior high priest in Jesus Christ. Number two this morning, we see that he ministers in a better place. So why is the new covenant better than the old covenant? Because of Jesus Christ and because he ministers in a better place. Now, if we look here, you realize when this was written, the Jews were still had a high priest, didn't they? Of the tribe of Levi. And they still, was there a need for a high priest since Jesus had died? No. And the temple veil being rent in two, it kind of helped explain all of that. But let's say Jesus came to be priest in the temple. He couldn't be. He's of Judah, not of Levi. He must have a different sanctuary that he has. Now you'll notice what the Bible says. Look at what it says here. It says in verse 3, it's a verse to a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not men. So do you realize, remember how one day God told Moses, this is how I want you to build the tabernacle. And it's going to have this piece of furniture and it. it's going to have this. It's going to have all these different things. Do you realize that was pictured of what it is like in heaven? The true tabernacle. 
what the tabernacle on earth was for the children of Israel, it was a copy of what's already in heaven. That's why when you look and see, and we'll look at this a little deeper in a minute, but we think about the fact that what the priests would do is they would go into that Holy of Holies, they would take, go to the mercy seat and apply the blood on the mercy seat. Well, do you know Jesus, our high priest, after he died, hadn't ascended up yet and told Mary not to touch him till he ascended up as our high priest and offered his blood on the mercy seat of heaven. So the tabernacle and all that it represented and the pieces that were there, we look at verse number 5, it says, they were an example and shadow of heavenly things. So the earthly tabernacle is just a shadow or an example of what's up in heaven. So in all reality, the true tabernacle is in heaven, and the one down here was just a copy. Have you ever um, made a copy on a copy machine? They're getting pretty good to where nowadays you almost can, if you get it just right, you almost can't tell you made a copy. But mostly when you make a copy, it's not as good as the original. There's differences in it. And I, I had a few people last service look at me. So the original's better than a copy, yes. So, and I know someone's going to ask me after last service, so I'm just going to say it for you here. Well, the Bible, we don't have an original, we have a copy. When you put preservation inspiration into it, a copy is good. So the Bible's a little different. You'll be okay, all right? So just re- relax on that one. So when it comes to the Bible, a copy, you're, you're good, okay? You're, whew, you're good. But when it comes to the originals, and that's why Jesus, his sanctuary in heaven, he ministers in a better place. Is it, think about it. Is it better to minister here on earth? Or to minister in heaven? I think heaven's better. Heaven's better for everything. Heaven wins. It's beautiful down here. Earth is a great place that God gave us, but it's corrupt. It's a fallen world, and heaven is a perfect place. So when we think about this, it's ministered in a better place. Well, think about this with me. Look at verse 3. It says, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, whereof it is of necessity that this man have somewhat to offer. And so as we look, we realize the fact, what was the priest's job to do? We see it listed right there in verse 3. They were to offer gifts and sacrifices. And so we realize the fact, it says right after that, wherefore is of necessity that this man, this Jesus, have somewhat also to offer. Jesus also had to offer sacrifices and gifts. But do you know the children of Israel, the priests, they couldn't just offer this anywhere they wanted to. Now, the verse is wrong on the notes. So Deuteronomy chapter, and if you want to turn there and look at it, Deuteronomy chapter number 12, I want you to look at verse 13 and 14. In the notes it has verse 3 and 4, but it should say 13 and 14. So look at Deuteronomy chapter number 12, and look at verse 13 and 14. This is what the Lord had to say. Deuteronomy 12, verse 13 and 14 says, Take heed to thyself, that thou offer not any burnt offerings in every place that thou seest. But in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of thy tribes, there shalt thou offer thy burnt offerings, and there shalt thou do all that I commanded thee. The priest just couldn't offer a burnt offering anywhere they wanted. You know, like they couldn't just walk out into the desert and say, I'm offering right here, I'm doing this. You know, and that's, you think about that woman, the woman at the well, she said, well, there's a place we have to go sacrifice, Right? And then Jesus said, well, that's going to all change. You can worship God anywhere. That was the difference between the Old and New Covenant. The Old Covenant, there was a specific place where they offered the sacrifices. 
So as we look here, they had a specific place they had to offer, which means Jesus, as our high priest, has a specific place that he offers it. And since he's in heaven, his sanctuary must be in heaven. And you'll notice something that's pretty interesting in verse 3. Um, in the King James here, it's one of those things you're not going to pick up yourself very easy. So I'm trying to help you with it. You look at verse number 3. It says, for the high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Do you see that's plural right there? So the high priest in Israel's day had to keep offering and offering and offering and offering. Keep on reading the rest of it. It says, wherefore is of necessity that this man, this Jesus, have somewhat also to offer. Now that word somewhat that's listed right there is singular, like a one-time event. And that phrase that says to offer literally means in Greek once, to offer once. It's a singular event. So where the priests of the Old Testament had to offer sacrifice and offerings continually, this man, Jesus, had to do it once for all. That's what that phrase is telling us there. So we see the fact that literally the throne, or we're saying the priesthood, his stuff, he ministers in heaven. Not only that, but as I mentioned before, we see the fact that all it is is a shadow. It's a type. Literally, as we look here, the word shadow means pattern or type. So we see it says in verse 5, "...who serveth unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount." And so, literally, the earthly tabernacle was just a copy of the heavenly tabernacle. Everything listed from Exodus 25, and it, the Bible even tells Exodus 25, verse number 40, lays this out for us, and this is what God told him. It's just a copy of it. It's of what is here. It's a pattern. That's why, so, you read all those num you read the numbers that are listed, you, this cubit and that cubit and all of that, and you're like, that's pretty precise. Well, God already had the original and he was telling Moses what he needed because Moses wasn't in heaven. God came to Moses and God, this is how I want my tabernacle. I'm going to dwell with you. See, God has dwelling place in heaven and he brought it down to earth. That's what he did. Say, why is the new covenant better than the old covenant? Because of our priest. And secondly, because of the better place that he ministers in. And you think about heaven. Do you realize a lot of the things we mention about the tabernacle, the old tabernacle, the brazen altar. You can see that in Revelation 6, verse 9 through 11. The altar of incense, Revelation 8, verse 3 through 5. Um, the sea of glass mentioned in Revelation 4. It pictures the, the laver. The laver, though, in the tabernacle, they would wash their hands in it. So the water was always moving. The sea being still but there was no more washing that had to be done. That's what it pictures. There's a lot more. The, the, the lampstand in heaven, the seven, gold, the seven spirits of God. So all the things that we see about the tabernacle are just pictures, copies of what's already in heaven. So why is the new covenant better than the old covenant? It's better because our, our high priest is better. It's better because he ministers in a better place. And with all that being said, we get to the meat of the message. Why else is it better? Because it's founded on better promises. 
We look at verse number 6. Now he that hath obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Now as we think about this, Moses in the Old Testament for the children of Israel was the go-between with God for the people, right? Remember, they could have gone up to the mountain to be with God and they were fearful of God. And they're like, Moses, you go talk to God for us. We're fine staying in camp. You go up there and talk to God. Which is interesting that they feared God enough to not want to get too close, but they didn't fear him enough to obey and do what he told them to do. As we look at this, we see they were so frightened in things that literally Moses was their go-between. Was Moses a perfect man? No. Moses had problems just like you and me. And God used Moses in a great way. And God gave the children of Israel the old covenant through Moses. So it would only make sense that if we have a superior, perfect high priest who is in a better sanctuary, that we're going to have a better covenant than what Moses gave from God before because we have a better person. We have Jesus. When you have the best, it can only, everything just get better. That's what we see in this passage. And as we look here, we realize the fact that in the New Testament, as we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, what did Jesus say? This is my blood in the New Testament, the new covenant, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. That is the new covenant. Jesus ushered it in. So as Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. And we can go to God today through Jesus Christ, his son, because he offered a sacrifice once for all. And so it's based on better promises. And we'll talk more about this here. What is the better covenant that was mentioned? That comes from Jeremiah chapter 31. In verse number 31 through 34, this is what God said to Israel. Are you ready? Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant that God is going to make with his people. And that's what is found in here. It's also mentioned in the passage in Hebrews that we're reading. And when we look at these things, this promise was given in a prophecy that promised future restoration to the children of Israel. And uh, that was... and. This was Jeremiah ministered during the time of the Babylonian captivity. And when it seemed like their nation was never going to be the same, God gave them a promise of restoration and blessing. Before Jesus went to the cross, as we'll observe the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, he celebrated the Passover with the disciples. 
And that's when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And he said, this cup is the New Testament. It's the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So what we got to understand is there's this promise that God made. Now, this is where some people get lost too. This promise, Joe, if you go back to the first verse of that, Jeremiah 31, verse 31, it says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So this covenant was made to Israel, correct? So there are those out there that say the church has replaced Israel and is a spiritual Israel. Let me help you with something. The church has not replaced Israel. God literally says he's making this with Israel and the house of Judah. These are God's words. He's not replacing them. The church has never replaced Israel. Now, I'll explain a little deeper here in just a second. What has happened is Jesus came. And who did he come? He came to the Jews first, right? If we were to look throughout the book of Acts, they all went and spread the gospel. It all started with the Jews, right? They rejected their Messiah. But then we see, in, as the book of Acts gets going, and in your notes there, there are lots of verses you can read. We're not going to read all of Acts 7 and all these different places this morning. But literally, the culmination, you'll see the first several chapters of Acts, Jews are getting saved. Not the nation, but individual Jews are getting saved. And then you see it kind of all culminates together when Stephen is stoned for preaching the truth. It's interesting to note that with Stephen, that Jesus actually stands up in heaven. He's not seated. It's the only time you see him standing. I don't know if Israel, I don't know what the reason is there. And I got speculation, but I'm not going to speculate this morning. But literally, they stone Stephen. The very next chapter, you see the fact that there were Gentiles getting saved. I believe the way it works is, the Bible talks about in Romans 1, verse 16, a great passage to look at. Romans 1, 16 tells us, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth. Look at what it says. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So glad that last phrase is on there. I love that that last phrase is on there. What happened was, Israel rejected their king. And what did God do with the nation of Israel? Bible talks about in the book of Romans, later on, nine, chapter 9, chapter 10, he literally took Israel and basically set them on the shelf for now. Is he done with them? No. Can anybody replace them? No. That's what the tribulation is all about. God working through Israel one more time. The fulfillment of Daniel's 70 weeks of prophecy. He has to work through Israel. That's all tied in there. So what happened is, when Israel rejected their king, there are individual Jews that get saved, and thank God for it. But the nation as a whole has rejected God. And what God did is, he ushered in the church. And God was working through the church at this moment. And what happens is, when we get saved, we are grafted in to Abraham's family. I was going to show you a picture when we were in Bryce Canyon over the summer. There was a tree that literally another tree grafted in, and they became together. Now that tree had died, I don't know if a fire put it out, so I didn't really know if I wanted to use that picture. But the whole idea is that when we come to Christ, we are grafted into Abraham's family. We do not replace the Jews. We do not replace Israel. God is going to work through Israel. And this promise was to the Jew first and then given to all of us. 
So as we look at this and we go a little bit further this morning, why is it that the new covenant is better than the old covenant? Well, first of all, letter A, because of the promise of God's grace. The promise of God's grace. We look at verse number 7 through verse number 9. Verse 7 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second for finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the day comes, saith the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And then we see that, those verses that we just read in Jeremiah chapter 31. God saw these things. And do you know what God said? I'm going to do this. What did the old covenant say? The people said, We will follow you, God. That in itself is where the problem stems. Because we will tell God we will do lots of things, right? And do we always follow through doing what we tell God we will do? We do not. So what God said is, I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. Remember what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, hell and death. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. Heaven is God's grace. The Holy Spirit of God inside us is God's grace. All that God's done, that's what grace is. And so what God said is, it's no longer, you, you break my covenant, you never follow it, so I'm going to do it. I will give you a new heart. I will fix you. I will give you my spirit. I will do this. That's why with the new covenant, it's not anything that I do. It's what Christ has already done for me. That's the difference. The, and you think about, well, the Old Covenant, what was the point of the Old Covenant? It was our schoolmaster to show us our need for something better. It was, it was, was the law good? Yes. Were we good? No. And God gave the children of Israel chance after chance after chance. The book of Judges, they mess up in sin. God punishes them. They get right with God. He raises up a judge to deliver them. They get in sin again. It's just a constant circle throughout the book of Judges. They get their own nation. They're building up their nation. All these things happen. And then they don't follow God. They get taken into Assyrian captivity, into Babylonian captivity. And then they say, God, we're going to do all these things. And then they never come through with it. The book of Nehemiah, they, man, we're going to do all these things. We, will, we make four, four promises to God. And then chapter 13, they break all four of those promises to God. And God says, you don't need to make a promise to me anymore. I'm going to make you a promise. It's God's grace. The promise of his grace. Why is the covenant better than the old covenant? Because the promise of God's grace, letter B. Because the promise of internal change. This is what's needed. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts and will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. You know, Moses declared the law of God, God's standard. But Moses couldn't provide the ability to obey God's law. Sinful people need a new heart. It's just like I mentioned the gun laws. What we need in our country today, and laws, I'm fine with laws. Laws are good. Law, but people, this is what will happen. Let's just use guns for a second. 
So law-abiding citizens, good people, will obey the law and do what the law says, right? Where bad people will do what bad people do and break the law. So when you want to take a lot of guns away from people, the good people that would keep them to defend themselves and have them for when they need them and the Second Amendment that's there won't have them, and the bad people will still find a way to have it, and it doesn't change anything. Because the law will not change what happens. There must be a change that takes place in the heart. The parallel passage to Jeremiah 30, one comes from Ezekiel chapter number um, 36 verse 26 and 27 says and I a new heart will I give uh, give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them you see Moses gave the law but Moses didn't give us a way to keep the law. And so what God says is, I've given you my son. I'm going to give you a way to keep the law. I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to take my spirit and put him in you, and he can lead you and guide you and help you do what's right. Because if you don't have the spirit of God, you aren't going to do what's right. And we still don't always do what's right, even having the spirit of God inside of us. But we can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what the new covenant is all about. It's based on better promises. The fact that God can take a heart and change that heart. That's where the Bible tells 2 Peter 1, verse 1 through 4, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through our our Lord and Savior, grace and peace be unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according to what it says, as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. They might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's what it's all about. The old covenant, here's the standard. Now do it. And the new covenant is, I know you're not going to do it. And I love you. I sent my son to die for you. He did it. So now, here's my spirit. Here's a new heart. And now you can do the things you should do. That's what he did. That's what the new covenant's all about. It's based on better promises, the promise of God's grace, the promise of eternal change. Let her see the promise of forgiveness for all. Verse 11 and 12 it says, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Under the law, where could you find all the forgiveness in the law? The law wasn't given for the purpose of forgiveness. The law was given so you would know that you needed forgiveness. Romans 3.20 tells us, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For the law is the knowledge of sin. The law couldn't promise Israel forgiveness, let alone mankind, right? And so as we look at this, it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his blood shed for us, that has brought forgiveness for us. 
Hebrews 8, 11 that we just read quotes Jeremiah 31, 34. And it refers to that day when Israel is going to be reunited with Judah and they're going to rejoice in that. And that day is still coming. It's not been fulfilled yet. And literally what it says is, I'm going to forget what you've done. He chooses to. Now, someone wrongs us. It's hard for us to forget. Next week, I'll be married for 17 years. There are things that I've said that she remembers from 15, 16 years ago that I've forgotten about. But she remembers it. I don't know how it works out that way. She can't remember what I said yesterday, but she remembers what I said 16 years ago. We have a tendency to remember things. God says, I choose to forget. That's why when you beat yourself up with the sin that's in your life and what you've done in your past, that's not God. God doesn't say, hey, Brian, remember what you did? Oh, I think that's Satan. Also, it's ourselves. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves, don't we? And when we we think about that fact, that's why Paul said, i got to forget those things that are behind. Because Paul thought about all that he had done before Christ. That could mess a person up dwelling on that all the time. But when you look in God, when God looks at you today, he doesn't see your sin. That's why I love, and I mentioned it, a couple weeks ago, I did a, I preached at a men's thing in Corona. And while I was there, I talked about David. I love how in the New Testament, I think it's Acts chapter 7, David is mentioned. You know, it doesn't mention that David was an adulterer or a murderer or anything else he did. It says that God said he was a man after my own heart. Because, God, yes, the Old Testament details all the details about David's life. But the New Testament only shows the good of David. That's the difference. You say, was David always good? No, he wasn't. But because of Christ and because of everything, he was good. The New Covenant is a blessing. It's better promises. You can be forgiven. And lastly, there's the promise of eternal blessing. Verse 13 says, in that he saith, a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Do you realize only a few short, few short years after Hebrews was written here, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Israel has not had a high priest really since that day. Now, those that know Bible prophecy realize there's going to be a third temple which means there will probably be a new high priest coming in at some point. But literally, our high priest is in heaven. His sanctuary is in heaven. He ever liveth. He will never die. He will never fade away. And the blessings of our high priest are not temporary. They're eternal. So this morning, the whole passage is all about the fact that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. And it's only better, not because of us. Because if, if, if the new covenant was dependent on us, we would mess it up like we messed up the old covenant. The new covenant's better because of who our high priest is. Jesus makes all the difference. 
literally, Jesus is better. It gets no better than Jesus. And these Jews were reverting back to their old ways. And the author here is reminding them, you don't need that stuff. You've got Jesus. And Christian, you might not be going back into Judaism today. But whatever you're trying to go back into, you have Jesus. You need nothing else. He's better. And not only is he a better, better high priest with a better covenant, but next week we'll look at the fact he has a better sanctuary. Like we already talked about that today. Well, chapter 9 has more about that, and we'll talk more about that next week. Father,